This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! so that I could get some coffee. And then I discovered that we don't have any creamer because I used the last of it yesterday. I did not get, this is gonna be a low energy episode. On top of that, River is here. So I'm just gonna apologize to everyone listening in advance. That's okay. I had a bit of a crazy morning too. Everything was going fine until a few minutes ago when we discovered that one of our cats may or may not have eaten some raisins. Yeah, so now we have to go get him into the vet for a blood test today. It's hectic. I mean, it, it, odds are probably 50-50 that he did not eat any raisins, but um, we'll see how it goes. So, yeah. For those listeners at home who don't know this, uh, raisins are super toxic to dogs and cats. Do not let your pets eat raisins or grapes. You must have a weird cat. Yeah, well, he just he just eats anything. Anything. Like, he... He knows that he doesn't like broccoli and cauliflower because he's tried eating them several times. And the second he gets it, like he'll inhale a piece of cauliflower. The second it hits the back of his throat, he instantly just projectile vomits. And yet he does this like anytime a little, like when I'm cooking, if a little piece of broccoli or cauliflower drops to the ground, he pounces on it and then just pukes all over my feet. He's a crazy cat. He was uh, he was rescued when he was a tiny baby kitten, like his eyes weren't even open yet, and his mama had died, and uh, so he had to be bottle fed. So he was like starving when he was found. So he has food issues. <laughs> oh, poor pupper or kitty or whatever. Sorry, I I think of all small animals as puppers. Yes. Do you think of Nudibranchs as puppers? I think of Nudibranchs as a lot of things now. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into Nuda Bronx today because this has got to grow up sometime. A Swan's Crossing Rectus. Uh, a Swan's Crossing Retrospective. And I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. And hopefully, this is your first episode listening <laughs> where, where we can't say the name of our podcast. <laughs> we can say Nuda Bronx, though, because my God, we heard that word a lot this episode. Oh, my gosh. The. the... The mod, uh, we, I can't wait to get into it. I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, this, as I've said many times before in previous episodes, this is one of my favorites in the entire series because it's just so bizarre. It is profoundly strange. Uh, what were my predictions? It is. It has been two weeks since we recorded and I have no idea what I said last time. Okay, so you predicted the Countess would have a public speech at the benefit and then would get interrupted by the Captain, who's irate because he's been called here under false pretenses because the Countess knows nothing about Nudibranchs. Did not really happen that way. Nope, nope. It was very specific, though. You gotta give me points for having a specific prediction. For sure. Mila would show up with Billy Gunn, and the Countess would be charmed by him, which would go against everything Garrett had predicted. Sadly, that did not happen. Uh, You predicted another scenario in which Garrett would get Sydney so worked up that she lets slip that she's been having nightmares about being Sandy. Sadly, no. No. 
you predicted that Sydney would be profoundly embarrassed by something at the at the the benefit. That did not happen. Although, no. I mean, I feel like everyone who was there was profoundly embarrassed. <laughs> yep, yep. You thought Coach Tuna would be at the benefit, but that it would have no impact on Garrett's ability to play baseball, despite the fact that he was supposed to stay out of trouble. Sadly, no. You thought there would not be a lot of Owen and that he would not be playing music at the benefit. He was not playing music at the benefit, but we did get a little Owen. We got a little Owen. JT and Neil would deliver research to the Countess about Nudebronx, but the Baldy would take the opportunity to sneak into JT's room to get the info he needed. Sadly, no. And you predicted that the thing Barrick has been working on in the shop would be an aquarium for Nudebronx. You are zero. <laughs> zero yeah. for one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Zero for eight. Zero for eight. Yes. yes. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the thumbnail? I do. I do. Because in the shotfactory.tv thumbnail for this episode, I have to say that the thumbnails of late have really taken to doing close-ups of Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's not a lot of context for what is in the thumbnail. This one, she had a very pouty lip, white headband, some earrings. Uh, the brown in the background made me think that she was at home, which was correct. Uh, the headband made me think late 80s, early 90s exercise class. But then I saw the earrings and I was like, would you wear those to exercise? In the 80s, you probably would. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I feel like no one no one in Swan's Crossing exercises unless it's for some kind of joke. So, <laughs> We open on a close-up of huge snail shells stuffed with diced peaches and green grapes while harp music plays. The camera pans across to Ritz crackers that have been adorned with coils of cheese whiz and what appears to be red gumdrops. Yeah, it's it's a, it just the camera just scans down this table of quote very fancy hors d'oeuvres uh, <laughs> with the Swans Club pool just on the other side of the table, uh, as if someone thought that placing a buffet table at the literal edge of the pool was a good idea. <laughs> The Countess enters the pool area with Ralph trailing behind her. She's instructing him on where to place name cards at the tables, which are all around the pool. And uh, the Countess is decked out in a magenta dress with an enormous matching hat. The hat is literally wider than her shoulders. It is huge. It's Kentucky Derby huge. Just gigantic. Apparently, Muffy has loaned Ralph to the Countess for this evening's event. Because she's had to let four cooks and three butlers go in the last week because she's been planning. Yes, this banquet is stressing her out that much. Libby, I, you and I live in a small town, a small coastal town. You? I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the number of cooks that the that the Rosnovskis go through is truly unrealistic. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to find a caterer on this island to do anything. There's there's one, right? No, no, there's there's tons of caterers, but none of them are available. <laughs> oh, so like the plumbers and the contractors, <laughs> not yeah, available. Exactly, exactly. We're just not available. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, they must have an incredible supply there. Well, you know, they're not on an island, so maybe people are coming in from other towns. Oh, I hear there's a shortage of cooks in Swan's Crossing. Gotta get over there. I don't know why this cook sounds like a newspaper reporter, but here we are. Say, I hear you needed a cook. 
Well, uh, throughout this process of putting place cards down, we learn Mrs. Booth's name, which is Cornelia, and the Countess rhapsodizes about the plight of the Nudibranx while she holds up a jelly slug toy of some kind. These jelly slug toys come back several times, and they, they're grotesque. They are. That's the only word for the opportunity for maybe the greatest line in the entire episode, which is, These poor, dear, misunderstood creatures... What do they have? Mucus! Uh, the Countess's uh, dialogue in this episode is truly wonderful. This is like the Countess's prime episode. Yeah. We cut over to New Grant and Garrett uh, coming out onto the booth porch to head to the benefit. Uh, in true misogynistic fashion, Grant complains about how long his wife is taking while they wait around in ties. He says, quote, He'd rather tread on hot coals than act proper when Margaret L- Rutledge is in the same room. I want to state unequivocally, unequivocally, uh, unequivocally, whatever, <laughs> that all of the men in this episode are dressed so boring. Thank you. Like bo- a confluence between boring and weird, though, because like- they are they look for the most part like they have come to a realtor's convention. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, Grant, it's, there's something very mismatched about all their outfits, too. So, like, Grant Booth is wearing royal blue pants, like, brilliant blue, with a cream sport jacket, a striped shirt, and, like, a sort of mauve purple tie covered in swans. It's just like... Oh, I missed it that was covered in swans. I have to update the swan count. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of swans on that type. I think it just counts as one, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I think even in 1992, this was a fashion faux pas. Ugh. You don't put swans on your tie. Even in 1992, you monster. Yeah. Well, Garrett, um, Garrett takes off so he can get to the club early to get a jump on things because evil is afoot and he needs time to lay his traps. Of course. Uh, and then Grant hollers back into the house uh, about... Uh, a late entrance not being considered a novelty, and he goes back into the house and proceeds to loudly proclaim how in the past everyone has left events by the time that they've arrived. (laughs) JT walks up, knocks on the door, and his voice cracks so beautifully when Grant opens it. I love it. There's glory here. (laughs) That's great. So good. Well, we cut to the sub, and Callie appears looking fly as hell in high-waisted khaki sailor pants with a matching cropped sleeveless collared top. It's the best look of the whole Nudibranch ball. Well, I could not agree more. She looks fantastic. And Beige is back in these days. In fact, Beige is so back in right now that people are naming their children Beige in droves. I wish I was kidding about that. It's true. I hate everything about that information that you've just told me, Libby. As do I. Uh, Callie can't get her dad moving either, so she rings the sub's bell and speaks to him as his conscience in a booming voice. And then Captain Walker emerges, wearing a gold-printed cravat that is absolutely huge. It is is all the way up to his chin. He has his uh, remarks prepared, which he slides into his jacket pocket, gives Callie a look. She smiles Neither of them make any move towards the door. (laughs) (laughs) We cut over to the Rutledge Mansion where Muffy is on the brick cell phone. She's wearing a peach pantsuit type thing, which is the most 90s thing ever. Muffy is bitching about spotted owl conservation, which was the big Republican gripe of the 90s. I remember that. Uh, She listens for a... Oh, sorry. So, So Muffy's talking about this. 
Sydney walks in in the background. She's got this white headband, earrings, and dark matching top and bottom. Uh, she listens for a moment, then walks back into the darkened room from which she entered as the psycho music plays. Yes, I love that part. Um, and then her thoughts drift to picking up that note in No Man's Land. And we get that flashback with the beautiful echo effect on it. You've got until the benefit, benefit, benefit. I love, I still love that note. And I'm glad it's coming back to haunt us because it's so crazy. It's so good. Uh, we cut to the commercial and the theme song. And then when we come back to the pool, Ralph is announcing guests like it's a grand ballroom. <laughs> so great. Oh, he announces the booths and the countess greets them. Glory and JT are with uh, the booth family and they take the pro they take a program from a woman dressed in an extravagant nudibranch costume. Wait, 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 wait. The countess greets both it should be noted first of all that there's very little room for people on the sides of the pool. The pool takes up by far the majority of this sound stage. <laughs> The Countess greets the booths by saying, Welcome to the Nudibranquit. <laughs> That's right, the Nudibranquit. <laughs> to which Cornelia Booth says, What? <laughs> Completely like she's just now realized that she is not in her home and she's at an event. Cornelia has been walking around in a fugue state ever since she married Grant Booth. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, Glory, it should be noted, actually looks fairly classy as opposed to JT, who is in some sort of horrific plaid blazer. Yeah, not his cool plaid blazer that he had in the, the previous episodes either. This is like a bad one. It's not great. There's a lot of bad uh, plaid blazers in this episode. Yeah. Grant and the Countess kind of seem to hit it off a little bit, and Cornelia starts to get a little jealous. And then she's like, mm -hmm. I think we should circulate. And she sort of gives a look to the Countess, like she's going to yeah. try to steal her man or something. Come on. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the unacknowledged thing that's happening here is that Grant is a bit of a player, and, <laughs> and somehow the women get blamed. Well, Neil and Saja enter together next, and the Countess greets them. Saja starts saying some of his usual weird New Angie shit, and the Countess just goes, yes, with a, with a hand gesture, like, what the fuck, boy, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Saja is dressed in a white shirt, slacks, and some sort of browned pat brown patterned vest. It is horrible. Yeah, it is. That vest is, ugh. It was very of its time, though. Oh, oh definitely. I definitely had multiple multiple vests that I wore everywhere. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, next, Captain Walker arrives with Callie. Countess goes to greet them, ready to seduce him into oblivion, and it should be noted that Ralph announces him as Captain Elia Walker Walker. So his last name is Walker Walker. <laughs> no, I think his middle name is Walker. That's so stupid. The captain's so nice, they named him twice. Uh, Neil, after, <laughs> this is one of my favorite moments, Neil walks over to the changing rooms where there is this truly horrible sign with, like, save the Nudibranchs in white block letters. Then the camera cuts away to the walkers, so it seems it has just followed Neil for no reason. Because all of the dialogue that is happening under the shot of Neil is of the walkers and the countess. It's so good. 
It is really fun. While this is going on, the Countess calls over the woman in the Nudebronk costume to give Captain Walker a program, and Captain Walker looks appalled at her gap. It's really uh, great. The woman in the Nudebronk costume is named Dolores, Livy. <laughs> Dolores the Nudebronk. Dolores. I, I can't even tell you the number of times I wrote Dolores in my notes. <laughs> Because I love that her name is Dolores. Callie uh, leads her father over to the tables and she is cracking up. Like, it looks like Stacy Mosley could barely keep it together throughout this scene, which totally works. Given yep, the situation. Yep. Uh, sorry, I have so many notes about this tiny little interaction. No, please, between... go for it. No, no, I'm trying to cut through them because, like, there, there is this... <laughs> Behind the Countess, as she's talking to the walkers, there's a guy in a tan suit having a tremendously animated but nonverbal conversation with someone we can't see who's right behind the Countess. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so good. I really love this Um, moment, too, because as the captain walks away with Callie, Dolores the Nudebronk raises a hand and acts as if she's trying to call after him but can't. Like, she's opening her mouth. And no words come out, so is Dolores mute? (laughs) What is going on? No, no, no. What it looks like is that they are leaving. She is going to be sacrificed to the Nudebronka gods, and this is the last time she will ever see them. (laughs) That is what I literally took from that moment. I mean, you may be right, given how this whole thing ends up going. (laughs) Muffy arrives with Sydney clinging nervously to her arm. And Muffy and Grant stare daggers at each other across the pool while Sydney stares into the middle distance as if she has also gone into a fugue state. Muffy and Saja do not appear to have tried at all to have dressed up for this event. <laughs> yeah, Muffy's got that weird peach like suit top thing on and then like just like a black skirt or something. It's a very odd combination. M- Muffy lets Countess know that she'd only have attended this for the Countess. And I wanted to know why. <laughs> because you don't care about New Bronx? Because the booths are here? Because the gala is in the Swans Club pool room? <laughs> Barrett comes up to the captain's table and starts talking to him about New Bronx. Callie is super pissed about all of this. Yeah, uh, apparently Walker is an authority on, quote, deep sea luminescence. <laughs> and Barrett has read all of his papers. <laughs> Throughout this, Callie just glares at Beric suspiciously as this conversation is going on. And at the end of the conversation, Walker looks at Callie and goes, isn't this amazing, Callie? And Callie just with, like, total deadpan goes, not for Beric. (laughs) Oh, the captain tries to get Beric and Jimmy to sit with them, but Callie kind of intervenes because they're just like, oh, no, no, they're place cards. He can't sit here. She doesn't want to deal with Beric's weird sexual harassment. And uh, Beric and Jimmy slink off to find their own table while Callie glares suspiciously after them. We cut over to Nancy, Owen, and Mila. Nancy has really dressed for the event. Sweet white little cocktail dress. Owen is in his sunglasses, print t-shirt, and an incredibly loud plaid blazer coat thing that's extra long. (laughs) It looks like, what were the, uh, zoot suits? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it looks like a plaid zoot suit top. <laughs> it is. It's great. And, like, red pants. It's a very strange combination all around. 
Nancy has what can only be described as a Girl Scout neckerchief over her tan blazer and white blouse. Yeah, so Nancy's outfit for this is her usual junior businesswoman attire, but she has spiced it up with a Girl Scout neckerchief. It is amazing. It's amazing. She asks Mila if it's true that Billy Gunn is going to be her escort tonight, and Mila doesn't really give a straight answer. And then Nancy goes... It must be so glorious to have a boyfriend who's a rock star and even more exciting trying to keep it secret. And then as she says that last bit, she gives this look that says she wants to straight up murder Mila. (laughs) Uh, Mila does ask if she has anyone. Uh, It should be noted (laughs) during this conversation, Mila and Nancy are talking to each other. Right behind Mila is Sydney, who is not in the conversation. And then right behind Nancy is Jimmy, who she's got the hots for. (laughs) And I really had to question whether or not we are meant to believe that these folks can or cannot hear this conversation happening. I know. So good. Oh, so Mila pulls uh, Nancy and Sydney into a little chummy group hug and reminds them of their Sisters Forever pledge at the sleepover while Ralph announces Garrett and Sandy who have come to the banquet together. Da-da-da. Sandy is in a cute royal blue dress and a little haircut. Yeah, she looks amazing. She got her hair dyed a proper shade of blonde and tamed her spiral curls so they look super fly. And yeah, that dress is really cute. It's definitely the coolest outfit here. Yeah, yeah. And cue the gossipy girl cluster. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, During which Nancy notices that Sydney is looking a bit off. I think that line of dialogue is in there specifically in case the audience has not noticed the numerous times Sydney has stared into the middle distance this episode. (laughs) Sydney sort of looks over at Garrett and Sandy hanging out together and she mutters weakly that she hates Garrett. And then Sandy excuses herself presumably to go pee, and Garrett takes the opportunity to cast a gloating look at Sandy, or at Sydney, sorry. God, these fucking names. <laughs> and Sydney looks like she's about to cry. The Countess takes the focus, asking everyone to take their seats because the Captain is going to tell them all about Nita Bronx. Uh, she, in doing this, she holds up one of the weird little jelly guys. And Garrett walks over to Sydney, asks if she's ready to deal because she's only got until the end of the event. And she stalks off and sits next to Sandy in what appears to be a tiny little vanity that has been set up in one of the, like, pool changing areas for the event. Yeah, so, like, there's no bathroom set, clearly, so they're just using a cabana. That's amazing. (laughs) powder room, and they're literally pouting, like, they're applying powder to their faces, and uh, she, Sandy happily tells Sydney that she finally got all the orange out of her hair, but she did it, did it at the Booth's house, apparently, and Garrett insisted. So, oh mm-hmm. no. Oh. Yes. Uh, we get another note from Muffy about how, as Muffy, like, pops her head in, sits down, and also powders her nose. And it is during this conversation that we get another, like, one of those... Uh, moments where we find out that Sydney has something different from all the other Rutledges and and there's this like ominous music that plays and fortunately we cut away from that to a commercial and when we cut back we get a shot of Glory frantically waving both arms to someone across the pool. 
And then we, the camera kind of pans back and we see that uh, Saja is bending JT's ear over on the other side of the pool about the two motivating forces within the physical body of man, which I guess is like that meme about how there are two wolves inside you. I guess. Anyway, it's the inner and encircling light. Okay. And JT is like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> uh, Glory comes over, grabs JT. I'm not sure if she thinks she's rescuing him from Saja or what, but she takes him to their table. Uh, Nancy sits down next to Jimmy because apparently that's that's where her name card is. And she goes, well, well, the luck of the draw. <laughs> and as Jimmy immediately turns to Beric and says he'd rather be tooling around on his motorcycle. Nancy puts his napkin on his lap for him, living out the first phase of her burger, dominic- burger dominatrix fantasy. <laughs> Burger dominatrix fantasy is not easy to say, I will give you that. It's not. And uh, in response, Jimmy hands Nancy one of the gooey Nudebronk jelly table decoration things. Uh, We cut over to JT realizing that they've got to sit with the booths and Garrett. uh, And immediately cut away from that to the Countess dragging Neil to her table and introducing him as the primary researcher for the event. Uh, And as, as this happens... Dolores comes over and puts something in the captain's lapel. Do you know what that was? I think it was supposed to be a lapel mic, but he later stands in front of a podium with a regular mic on it, so I don't know. I'm very confused. Um, Also, I would like to point out that it was actually JT whom the Countess roped into doing uh, research, so who needs continuity? Right. Then we get... My favorite shot of this whole episode, which is, like, shot from Jimmy's perspective, sitting at his table, looking at Callie, who is standing right next to the table, just looming over him with a glare. (laughs) And then cut to Jimmy, looking back at her with a terrified look on his face. I love this so much that I put these shots on our Instagram account for other people to appreciate. It's so good. I I will say that Nancy's look after this moment, is delighted. And, and that, that I think, needs to be part of the, uh, part, part of the storytelling there. I, I, I agree. This was one of my favorite moments. But there are some other shots in this episode, Libby, that I have to say, while not important to the continuity or the characters, certainly make a running for weirdest shot. This is why I love this episode so much. It's just a treasure trove of insanity. Barrick goes over and introduces himself to Muffy and starts to put the flirt on her. Yeah, he kisses her hand, like, all slowly and seductively. Uh, my favorite my favorite moment of this is, he goes, please call me Barrick. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's not his name. Right. Also, is just one name, too. He stresses that it's just Beric. So, like, Cher or Teller. Oh, beautiful. Uh, we cut over to the captain who is demanding to start his new DeBronk lecture. Uh, a bell sounds. The, the countess says that the bell is sounding for 2100 hours, which, if I recall correctly, is 9 p.m. <laughs> it is. I can't believe these people all had to attend this fucking event. <laughs> practically in the middle of the night. Oh my god. Um, the Countess gives an introductory speech which includes the words, what if there were no swans in Swans Crossing? Indeed, what if? 
Um, also, it is at this moment that I realize that the harp music in this episode is coming from an actual harp next to the pool. <laughs> we get a really brief shot of Mila watching her mother's speech intently, while Owen sitting next to her is just staring at Mila, open-mouthed. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, as the Countess is doing this introduction... Can we talk about the f- confused and moving extras behind her? <laughs> the, the, count, the, the, the podium has been set up at one end of the pool. And it is facing away from the pool. But there are still people on the other side of the pool who, if the, there is a person at the podium speaking, will literally be looking at that person's ass the whole time. It is a, an odd arrangement. I'm surprised they didn't, like, repurpose the Rutledge Mansion set and turn it into a, a banquet hall like they do to turn it into the library. Like, it's just it was an odd choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the extras finally settle down, pay attention. Um, and then the camera keeps keeps cutting away from the Countess to the kids and finally to Grant Booth, who says... She hasn't changed much at all, has she? And Cor- Cordelia gives her this, give, or Cornelia gives her this very cold. Her daughter is lovely, and it looks so. Sandy is sitting at their table, at the booth table, and she thanks Cornelia again for helping her color her hair. And Grant gets mad that she was doing other people's hair. So, like in previous episodes, Grant Booth wanted his wife to take a job and go work at the cosmetics counter. So that she could, like, mingle with the pores and help win votes, but now he's mad that she dyed some girl's hair? Like, what is this? Yeah. And literally, the reason that he gives for freaking out is that he's running a political campaign. And I was like, like, what are you- what? Anyway. We cut over to Muffy's table where she's deep in conversation with Barrick. He just straight up asks if Grant Booth is doesn't have some pretty heavy government contracts. Smooth Barrack, very smooth. What a great undercover agent. Yeah, very nice. Uh, there's this great moment of Jimmy looking at Callie and Sydney making eye contact with Garrett right as the Countess introduces Captain Walker. <laughs> there's, there's light applause for the Captain, and then he gestures for more and gets it. I love that moment. He's like, come on, people. Step it up. Well, he takes the podium and begins to give a serious speech about Nudibranx, which starts out with him indicating that Nudibranx come in 5,000 varieties, and he appears to begin listing them all off. We get a crossfade to Cornelia Booth, looking like she is about to strangle a bitch, and Captain Walker is still talking about Nudibranx, but now we're in the 4,000s of his numbers. So presumably, he has listed off every species of Nudibranx, for approximately nine hours. He does say something about a good number of Nudibranx can, uh, like, discard part of their body and get away, and Cordelia takes a long drink and says, lucky little slugs, we're stuck. (laughs) We get several successive shots of everyone in the cast looking desperately bored while the captain drones on and on about sea slugs. Finally, Dolores comes over and tells the Countess it's time... And we start to see swimmers in little nudibranch nudibranch hats at the other side of the pool. (laughs) They strike a pose, this dramatic pose. There are four of them. They're behind the captain. The captain cannot see them. Yes. 
And then they dive into the pool, which draws everyone attention, draws everyone's attention. And then we see that someone in an even more elaborate nudibranch costume is crawling along the ground at the edge of the pool. I cannot even begin to tell you, dear listeners, how this nudibranch costume looks like something out of the first Star Trek series. (laughs) It's made of brightly colored bubble wrap, which honestly, like... It's pretty awesome as far as costumes made out of garbage go. Yeah. It comes, it, it, it crawls up alongside of the pool, grabs the, cacti- the captain's legs, and folks <laughs> in the audience start openly laughing. It's, this person in this Nudibranch costume is just, they have their arms wrapped around his legs as if they're trying to keep him prisoner. It is so strange. What is happening? And there's a whole synchronized swimming routine going on in the pool, a good deal of which no one at the event could see because the camera goes underwater to film it. (laughs) Uh, We also get an aerial shot of the pool. It's the first time we see the entire pool clearly. It's about 12 feet by 12 feet, and that's it. I've been in Hollywood orgy suites that had bigger hot tubs than this. I can't believe this is the best an incredibly wealthy eastern seaboard town can do by way of country club swimming pools. <laughs> Let me, um, I don't think we really have time to go unpack the, oh no, you and I have talked about the orgy suite thing. Have yeah. we done it on the podcast? Yeah, we did. We, okay. we talked about the Hollywood orgy suite on the podcast, never fear. Jeez Louise. Well, the captain drones on and on about pollution in the oceans, and we get that fucking awesome underwater a long underwater shot of the swimmers it is so glorious and saja watches pensively while captain walker tries to kick the person in the bubble rack wrap costume off his legs and that person just continues to grab back hold of him like he's a life raft in a shipwreck it is amazing and then for no apparent reason in the background Ralph starts throwing handfuls of ping pong balls everywhere. I did not notice that. Yes, one of them like goes too far and sails over the captain's shoulder into the tables of people who are watching him. I don't know what the ping pong balls are all about. I uh, it is amazing. Um Oh my god, I love this episode. <laughs> the the countess's song uh, includes the words, I've grown fond of mucus. You know it's true because I'm stuck on you, Nudibranch. Yeah, so after the captain wraps up his speech, the countess has an original song, as she does. This song is incredible. It is so good. My favorite line from the song, personally, was, they believe in real exaltation, simultaneous fertilization. <laughs> Callie is... Losing her shit. She's laughing so hard. She's almost crying. Neil literally has tears in his eyes. I don't know if they're tears of wonder or if he was actually laughing himself to death. But like, oh my god, I'm going to put this entire song at the end of the episode where I usually drop our favorite line from the episode. So tune in for that, friends. It is worth listening to. Oh my gosh. So there's there's lots of applause and laughter as Sydney looks over at Garrett, who's smiling his like devious smile 
he grows serious for a moment, and then we see the baldy in what appears to be a captain's hat and thick sweater on the side of the gathering. Like, he's somehow come out from under his, like, bird's nest cover thing and belongs at this party. Yeah, it's really weird. Uh, Anyway... After the commercial break, the banquet is over. The Countess sends the swimmers on their way with her thanks. And then she asks Captain Walker how he liked it. And he admits that it was extraordinary. And it was. It was extraordinary. There is no... Oof. Yeah. Uh, Grant walks over and he and Muffy and the Captain and uh, the Countess all start reminiscing about old times. Apparently at some point there was a surprise birthday party for Grant and the Countess created a baseball opera. Muffy was dancing in a catcher's mitt. It is, there's a lot of laughter and they all seem to be getting along very well. Yeah, Grant and Muffy seem to be uh, not enemies at this moment. Yeah. But as everyone leaves, Garrett and Sydney are left more or less alone. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. During this conversation that that is being had by the adults, Glory and JT jet from the party like they're about to go have sex in the car. <laughs> so as everyone leaves, Garrett and Sydney are left more or less alone beside the pool. They lock eyes as a military drumbeat begins to play, and Garrett smiles in anticipation as Sydney rises stiffly from her chair and approaches him. She stands across his table from him. We fade to black. Credits. Ah. Well, who was our psychopath of the week? Uh, you know, probably the Countess. Yeah, I I have to go with the Countess, too, for this one. <laughs> Woman has fired seven people this week. And also, I mean, that whole banquet was a, a, an exercise in psychopathy. Yeah, yeah. Pretty special. Pretty special. Did you have our swan count? We had two new fake swans. Uh, I was expecting more being in the pool room, but we did not get more. Uh, Zero new imaginary swans, so our running count is four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 97 other swans. Amazing. And what are your predictions for next week? I think the majority of next week is going to be spent in the pool room with uh sydney and garrett hashing out whatever deal they work out about the birth certificate i have no idea what they're going to agree to i think we get a scene between mila and billy gunn explaining why he didn't show up to the party i don't think we'll get it this episode uh this next episode but i think there's going to be more barrack muffy flirting in our future Uh, at least i hope so because at least that would be age appropriate I don't think we get a lot of JT, Glory, and Neil next episode. Uh, yeah, I really just think the whole episode is going to focus on, you know, sort of like the, the episode where they were writing up the cucking contract. I feel like it's going to be mostly that between Garrett and Sydney. And maybe Sandy comes back, sees the two of them together, gets jealous, or... Or conversely, Garrett uses Sandy to make Sydney jealous. I don't I don't really have a lot in terms of more finite, definite predictions for next time. All right, fair enough. Well, we will see what happens next time uh, when we experience the aftermath of the Nudebronk benefit. Oh, yeah. Baldy goes back in the bushes. Oh, <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me pull this back up so I can add that because that's really funny. Baldy has made it out of the bushes to attend the benefit, but goes back in the bushes. 
Okay. <laughs> well, friends, uh, we are we're going to wait. You know what? You do your outro parts. Thank you so much to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at... We're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram <laughs> at Swans Cross Pod. My brain vapor locked. Uh, listen, I don't know what our Twitter or social media handles are, so when you don't know, I panic. <laughs> I mean, we only have like like forty followers on them anyway. But you know, sometimes I post some funny compilation videos on there. There we go. Gotta love it. Oh God. Well, until next time, friends. May you never find yourself lacking in mucus or in substances with which to stick to other people. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> They believe in real exaltation, simultaneous fertilization. Who'd have thank, who'd have thank, who'd have thank for the nudibranch, the precious nudibranch? Oh, I have you to thank for introducing me, then seducing me with its charm. We will roll with the wallops and eat coral polyps. I'm stuck on your nudibranch. I've grown fond of the mucus. You know that it's true, cause I'm stuck.